Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. How's it going? Good. I'm uh, JD. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're with us uh, this morning. Super excited to get to preach in this series. I've been thinking about this series for a long time, A Different Way, Seeking Shalom, and uh, it's been rolling around in my mind, in my heart for a long time, and now I get to talk to you, which, which may or may not be a good thing because it might be like drinking from a fire hose this morning because I've been geeking out on this stuff for a long time, so fair warning. Um, you can, you know, start heckling me if I, it gets a little too intense. Um, but we, this... Conversation's been awesome. This is sermon three of this series, A Different Way, Seeking Shalom. And this is, uh, these first few series at North City have been just foundational series, uh, foundational conversations about what it's going to mean for us to be a community together, what it's going to mean for us uh, to pursue our mission of loving our neighbors in the way of Jesus. So this different way that's implied in the title is just that. It's the way of Jesus, and we're talking about how a part of the way of Jesus is to seek shalom. Do I need to use the handheld? We're good? Okay, cool. Um, And so Christine Osgood, an amazing person uh, in Christian Ann and I's life, amazing teacher, started us off a few weeks ago um, and did just an awesome uh, job kind of setting the big scene of what we're talking about with shalom and that sort of thing. So she gave us uh, this definition that we want to come back to when we're talking about shalom. It is a justice infused peace, wholeness and flourishing for individuals and systems. Doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> Doesn't that sound huge? <laughs> so Christian Ann did a great job last week, Pastor Christian Ann, about talking about how does this uh, play into our everyday life. And these conversations uh, going forward, we'll be talking about different dimensions of shalom, if you will, different aspects of what it looks like for this justice infused peace to infiltrate our everyday life, for us to experience this in our inner being, as uh, to use a Bible phrase, and uh, in everyday life, in our relationships with other people, and the systems that shape our culture. So one of the key questions uh, we've been talking about uh, in this whole thing is, what shapes your life? What way are you living into? What's shaping and forming your life? And could you put that wheel on the screen real quick? I just want to so this is the different aspects of shalom that we've been ta- we'll be highlighting the next few weeks here. And so as we're talking today and as we're having these conversations in the next few weeks, it's just really great to assess how's it going in these areas. Um, in, in, in the conversations we'll have, we'll touch on these a little bit and maybe spark some things with you. But these are like 101 conversations. We're going to come back to this idea of shalom over and over again as a community because peace is something that we want to pursue for the rest of our time together as a church. So, let's pray before we dump it, uh, before we dump in, before we jump in today. I was going with the hose metaphor, I guess. Um, uh, before we jump in, let's pray and uh, welcome God into what we're doing and uh, 
ask for him to speak to us through this stuff today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, it's you that are our peace. You are our peace, God. Through this conversation, uh, may you be bringing us closer to shalom in our everyday lives, in our relationships, God. And would you give us the eyes to see how this shapes our, um, our imagination about how we could be involved in our world and bring clo- peace closer to the experience of our neighbors. God, we pray for this place. We pray for Weber Community Center. We, we celebrate our partnership with, with them. We celebrate what happened uh, at the Trunk or Treat. God, we pray that you would be with them in their programming and their relationships with neighbors who come through here. May this place experience uh, shalom. That's what we're seeking with you in partnership with this place, God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So I think a question, like I was referencing earlier, is what is shaping you? What is shaping your life? What is shaping who you're becoming? Just think about that for a little bit. What are the things that are a part of your life, the characters maybe that are shaping your story? Who are those people? What are those things? When you look at that wheel, um, what are each of those aspects? What, what parts of that wholeness of shalom are shaping your life? What are the elements of that? Christine, a few weeks back, gave us uh, this biblical story to think about as a framework for this conversation, the biblical story of exile. This is a story of the Jewish people being removed from their homeland and going to a place called Babylon. And she drew out of this this text in Jeremiah where it says that God instructed them in this place of exile in Babylon where it was not their culture. It was a bunch of, a bunch of different pluralistic culture. He, he, draw, he, he gave them this instruction to seek the shalom of the city. So we're having a conversation about what that would look like for us today. And one of the things that's raised in that com- conversation is, what is our Babylon? So let's look a little bit. Uh, I've been reading this book called um, uh, Exiles, Faith, uh, Faith in Exile by David Kinneman, or Kinneman is his name. And he is an author that is primarily a researcher. So he does a bunch of research through the Barner Group on Christianity and faith today. And he came out with this book basically set on the same set of circumstances, based on the story of being in exile. And so he came up with this kind of quick reference. If you put that picture of Jerusalem and Babylon in, these are the dynamics that are going on. This is the difference that these people in exile are experiencing. So they're being removed from their homeland, and they're being placed in a land that is not their own. And here's some differences that they're experiencing. In Jerusalem, they had one religion, one thing that brought them all together. It was slower-paced, homogeneous. It was central control, sweet and simple. The idols in that time were religious pride and false piety. Their experience of this place called Babylon was a pluralistic, accelerated, frantic, diverse, not necessarily, all this list is not necessarily bad open source, complex, and bittersweet. The idols were fitting in and uh, not missing out. Doesn't sound that dissimilar to some things that we experience today. Notice on this list of things, there isn't good in Jerusalem and bad in Babylon. These are just two different contexts. What's most important is that these folks are responding to God. So the idea that, that kind of undergirds this whole series is whatever context we find ourselves in, what does it look like for us to pursue God, to follow the way of God? And like I said earlier, what 
is our Babylon. So I'm sitting there listening to Christine. I'm saying, this is great to think about ancient stuff, but how do we experience today? What uh, connection could we draw today? And part of David Kinnaman's work is to point out that our Babylon often comes through this. Our screens are characters in our life that shape our story, they shape our relationship, and have our attention. So can you throw that uh, statistic up on the screen where it talks about how many, how many hours we are just in front of our phones? So this is from an app called um, Reclaim Time, Reclaim Your Time, and it did this data I'm sure if you have an iPhone, you get that uh, update every Sunday about how much your screen time has gone up or bad or down, and it's sometimes encouraging and not so encouraging. And so look at this, how much our screens are shaping us. Three hours and 15 minutes a day. And this is not all at the same time, obviously. This is little points in our day. So if a Babylon is a culture that we're a part of that's shaping who we're becoming, Often, it's right in front of our faces. This is, in some ways, a digital battle, Babylon, if you will. We are experiencing life at a really fast pace. When we have questions about life, when we have questions about uh, those things around the wheel, our spirituality, our, our meaning, our, our physical well-being, we often go to the screen. It's becoming more and more prevalent that this is the access for shaping our lives. And so... That's kind of our new digital Babylon. And like I'm saying, it's not bad. Like, North City is on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I'm not saying run away right now. I'm saying this conversation is about how we seek peace, how we seek shalom in the midst of the world we find ourselves in today. I love how uh, Kinnaman describes this. He says, screens disciple. Screens disciple. So we use that metaphor of discipleship, teaching, training in Christianity. Right now, particularly with our young people who have grown up only with screens, that's their disciple. That's what's shaping them. That's the authority they go to. So here's the characteristics of a digital Babylon. Like I said, it's accelerated. There's a pressure to be in the know. Uh, information becomes an addiction for us in some sense. It's increased complexity less simplicity and more complexity because we have more and more access than we've ever had to information. You, with a couple taps on your screen and a swipe, you can get whatever you want to deliver to your door sometimes within an hour. It's like God-like powers that we're experiencing. And all of this has created, even though the messages we hear often don't tell us this, created alienation, statistically, Mental illness, mental health issues are on the rise. Statistically, people are experiencing more and more loneliness. Statistically, it's not necessarily bringing us together as a whole. It's often, in many ways, tearing us apart. The other factor of this is there's a deep suspicion of authority because we don't know where authority lies anymore. It used to lay in a person or a mentor or a relationship and now, because we have access to whatever information we want, it becomes really hard to discern where authority comes from. And that creates such skepticism about ways of life. It creates such skepticism and doubt about what the right thing is to do, what steps to take next. And this can be so paralyzing in this digital Babylon, if you will. And I think the biggest effect it has is its effect on relationships. It's 
the way we relate with each other. So what I want to focus on this morning is that aspect of shalom. How is this digital Babylon we live in affecting the way that we relate with one another? How do we as followers of Jesus seek relational shalom in this digital Babylon? Before we jump into the text this morning, just to kind of do a little experiment here, I thought I'd bring an artifact of the digital Babylon, a Facebook advertisement, one of the key players in the digital Babylon. And again, I'm not, there's a lot of disparaging of Facebook going on right now. This is not to continue that. But I want to show you a Facebook advertisement. And then I, I want you to ask this question as you watch it. What is Facebook promising with their product? How are they saying that you can seek shalom? Ask how they're shaping that aspect of your life. So let's, let's look at this advertisement. We were lost in a vast desert, completely devoid of Basset hounds. Then it appeared, a beacon of hope. I'm back in baby's arms. More glorious than a billion sunsets. We were found. Found by the hounds. What do you think? What are your responses to that question? What, what is Facebook trying to communicate its product does for you? Connects you with other people. Find more people like you. Find that you can fit in. Any other thoughts? Find happiness. Find belonging. <laughs> there it is. You don't need your phone. That's, the, that's awesome. Uh, well, it, it's, yeah, there's so many, yeah, there's so many messages in that, right? Like even the over-the-top love song that's playing in the background, better than a thousand sun, or a billion sunsets, I think it is. And like the dramatization of people finding belonging and feeling love is what they're trying to sell you. And again, I'm not trying to disparage Facebook. It's, it's a place where 75% of us live. If you're not there, cool, that's great. But you're indirectly experiencing what that does in other people's lives. So it's kind of a part of your life, too. So primarily what people are wondering about in relational shalom is, do I belong? Where do I belong? And am I loved? Those are the primary questions when we're talking about relational shalom. Where do I belong and am I loved? And Facebook clearly has an answer for that. Facebook is trying to shape us in the midst of that. So how do we respond? How do we as people who are trying to live into the way of Jesus respond? How do we seek relational shalom? To, do, to get at that question, I want to look at 2 Corinthians 5. So if you'll turn your, there in your Bible, and I have to describe Corinthians a little bit. I have to describe uh, what they're experiencing because it's not that dissimilar in its principles to stuff we experience in everyday life. In short, they're just as messed up as we feel sometimes. So the Corinthian church has this reputation among the churches that received letters from Paul in the New Testament of having their issues, right? Uh, if you remember a few weeks back, we did a dwelling in the word when we had a table Sunday, and that was a Corinthians text where we're talking about them celebrating communion. 
And I mentioned that they had all sorts of problems in celebrating communion. Instead of the mutuality we experienced in communion together, they were in people's houses and sectioned off rich and poor, and the rich people would eat all the food and the poor people got the scraps. There was uh, all sort of relational junk going on in their community. And the dynamics were is that these were converted Christians, most of them. Some of them came from Jerusalem, were Jews and had moved up there, but most of them were Greeks who had converted to this iteration of Judaism called Christianity. And were trying to live into this thing called the way, the way of following Jesus. And because all of their cultural dynamics were being mixed up, because in that time in the Roman Empire, it was this almost second iteration, and the Bible talks about it this way as like a second Babylon experience, this environment where it becomes more accelerated, more complex, more access to different ideas. There was confusion, and Paul was trying to speak into their midst and talk to them about what it means to pursue relational shalom uh, in their time. So here's what he has to say. Here's how he talks about what Jesus has to do with building relationships. I'm going to start in verse 14, and then we're really going to get to the substance of it in the later verses. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... If anyone is in Jesus, if anyone is following the way of Jesus, they are a new, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, and this is what God was up to, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, the work, the mission of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sin their brokenness, their mistakes, their hang-ups against them. And he, was committed, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's our role. That's our job titles. Ambassadors. As through God, we are seeking, as, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness or the justice of God. Now that's a lot there. Paul has a reputation of smashing a lot of theological depths into two or three words, and then if you read a couple sentences, oh boy. So, thus the fire hose. The question this morning is, what is Paul telling his friends? What is Paul telling the people in this early church about what it means to pursue relational shalom in the sort of Babylon experience they're being a part of. The first thing he mentions is this new creation. What's that all about? This is this theology that what Jesus has accomplished on the cross by inviting us into his family is actually created a new way to be human. One way to talk about the way of Jesus is to talk about this is a different way to be human a different way to pursue the fullness of shalom, the fullness of what it means to be healthy spiritually, relationally, to experience well-being in every aspect of our life. This new creation is b brought about by the God of relationship. 
This new creation is all about relationship. We have to remember that we don't just worship God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Our God exists three in one. Our God is in relationship. Relationship is the most profound part of the Christian faith. Our God, in some sense, is relationship. In connecting to that, our God loves out of that. He, in primarily what he was doing in Jesus, is restoring us to that relationship. We are called to participate in that life flow of God. Be connected to him. And all that Jesus was up to was restoring relationship and connection with us. And then he gives us that work. He says, not only do you be, are, are you connected, uh, restored, and reconciled to me, I give you the work, the service, the ministry of reconciliation. This means that we participate on a daily basis with reconciling ourselves to God and reconciling others to God. And that role, that job title he's talking about, that ambassador, can you think about that? We talk on behalf of the authority of the kingdom of God. We act on behalf of him. We participate in his mission coming true. That means that every aspect of our lives, we are ushering people into. We're speaking of this other reality, this other way of being, and we're being ambassadors and mouthpieces for that. I brought this uh, thing that's super meaningful to me in my life. This is a scroll. I took a trip to China two weeks after I graduated, a missions trip. Uh, for two weeks just to experience what it was like to be a Christian in China. And one of those experiences, we went to a small shop where an artist made Chinese art. And this artist was an underground Christian. So she had converted to faith about two years before and was still operating her shop. And when we shuffled into the shop, she closed the blinds, locked the door, and it was like a re- I, we felt like spies in some sense walking in there. And part of why we walked in there is just to learn from her, meet her, but also she really wanted to make art for us. That was her expression of how she walked out her faith. And what I asked her to do was to write these verses out in Chinese on, her, uh, on the scroll. So this is the artwork that she did. Just really, really beautiful. But when I asked her to do this, when I asked her to write these verses that I just read to you, she, she started to weep as soon as I asked her. And my you know, 20-year-old self had no idea what was going on. I'm like, what did I say to offend this woman? I'm so sorry. And through a translator, I picked up a little bit that this was her life verse. This was the thing that uh, encapsulated for her the most meaningful thing of following Jesus. And I think as I've pieced the story together afterwards in retrospect, I realized that these verses for her had so much more weight than I had daily experience. For her, she was living in a context where it meant a lot. It was risky for her to be a reconciler. It was risky for her to be reconciled to God in her relationships. She understood that she was living a new and different humanity in the midst of people who needed this hope. She realized that she had met a God of relationship. She was actively, secretly (laughs) working in this ministry of reconciliation. And I think part of why she burst into tears is this pursuit of relationship, this pursuit of being a reconciler, was the most meaningful thing she'd ever done in her life. For her, she was connecting her relationships to her meaning in her life. And I don't really know where to put this right now, so I'm just going to put it on the ground. 
I think often when we walk through our days and we look at our screens, we don't realize the weight of how we're building and pursuing relationships. I always remember that story because I want to remember how much it meant for her. So what does this look like in our everyday life? How do we navigate this digital Babylon? How do we pursue being reconcilers in everyday life? And I think as Christine talked to us, there's different dimensions of this. There's the intrapersonal, what it means for us and our well-being inside, and our thought life, our emotions, how we feel as humans. Our interpersonal relationships, uh, how we relate with other people, and then the systems that shape our way of relating with others. So interpersonally, I think the charge is super clear in this text. And Christian Ann talked about this last week. Be reconciled to God. The best step that we can take in, in pursuing more well-being and shalom in our relationships is to pursue being connected with God. When we feel right in relationship with God, we feel more compelled to be in relationship with others in right and healthy ways. Interpersonally, we pursue reconciliation. Our posture in relationship isn't just the easy cutting off of relationships or, 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 or uh, I think they call it ghosting these days when you break up with someone. We are, we are people who are pursuing reconciliation. And I just have to say, I realize there's moments in our life, there's relationships that are not healthy to keep pursuing rec reconciliation. Sometimes it's healthy to stop. There's healthy stopping points where it's a two-way street reconciliation. And our pursuit of reconciliation may just mean stopping because it's healthy to stop. I want to give you these words from John 15. This is Jesus imploring his people to pursue reconciliation in an indirect way when he's with his disciples giving them this commission. He's saying to them, I've told you these things for, this, for, for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and that your joy may be wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another in the way that I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends. When you do these things, I command. When you live in my ways, when you listen to my words. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants do not understand their master's thinking or planning. No, I've named you friends. Think about that. I have named you friends. I've let you into everything that I've heard from the Father. You don't choose me. Remember, I choose you. I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil, as fruit bears whatever you ask it, as fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, love one another. When we order our lives around relationship, we experience meaning. Often in, li in life, when someone's making a transition, moving to a new place or something like that, it's, it's baffling to me how much relationship doesn't play into the big decisions in our life. Like, uh, I, I was uh, friends with someone who got an offer to move out to California for a much bigger salary, and then he later found out that the housing prices are much bigger as well, so it wasn't that much of an increase. But when I was sitting in it with him, talk, talking with him, going through um, the just like brass tacks, how do I make a decision? How do I pursue meaning in my life? Uh, he was a single guy and never once did relationship come up in the conversation. Never once did who am I called to? Who are my friends? 
how is this going to affect my family come up in conversation? And I, I don't mean to pick him out and single him out because I think it's just a part of some of the air we breathe in American life, that our relationships get uh, subjected to the greater pursuits of success in our lives. And what it means to be a reconciler, what it means to love first, what it means to give up our lives, as Jesus talks about here, is to elevate relationship as the, one of the most meaningful things we can pursue in our life, even above success, you know, even above other things. In these systems of our life, like I said, there's a dimension of systems. What does it look like to be reconcilers, to pursue reconciliation? Uh, I don't think it's just posting on Facebook about our neighborhood every day or our life or communities, what's wrong. I think we pursue reconciliation in these big systems through relationship. What I mean is if we care about an issue, we ought to have someone we can sit across the table with and eat with who's a part of that issue. We pursue reconciliation through relationship. We pursue making the wrong things right in our neighborhood by knowing the people who are affected by that thing being wrong. Instead of being quick to air our even angst about an issue, we should be quick to extend an invite to coffee who's someone with someone we may feel uncomfortable sitting across the table with. This is all that we're about, North City, right? Pursuing relationship to pursue reconciliation in the systems. When I think about being a disciple in the world who pursues this, I think about the prayer of St. Francis, which is so meaningful to me. It goes like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, of your shalom. Where there is hatred, let North City let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, O oh, Jesus, grant me, grant that I may not so much as seek to be consoled, but as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life, life the way it should be, life to the full. Amen. So I want to leave you this morning uh, with just some practical things you can try. So I mentioned earlier how much time we spend on the screen, and one of the things that we have for you, a resource we have for you over here, are these 21-day challenges that we encouraging you to try something for 21 days. And there'll be a different thing to try, so don't feel like you gotta try everything. Uh, but if something really kind of grabs your gut and says, hey, we ought to try that, <laughs> speaking in the third person about yourself, I guess, um, do that. One of the challenges that I wanna put before you, options, is a phone fast. So I've been experimenting with this a little bit, where for large chunks of my day, I'll put my phone away from me. And I particularly do this in my house, where it's very tempting for me, after a long, tiresome day, when I'm anxious about something, to dive into my phone, to dive into information for some way to soothe from that, instead of choosing, choosing relationship with my family or relationship with other people. So when I'm at my best with this, and I, I struggle to share this example because I feel like the chief among sinners as far as this goes, to use Paul's language, but I'm trying and I'm noticing right away how much it reorientates me towards relationship with my children, 
my wife, and my friends. Four hours, I put it on the top of the hutch away from it. I've got the little thing on in case somebody actually calls me, which like never happens unless it's a tele uh, 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 someone who's trying to sell me something. But when it rings, I'll take a look at it, but it's very seldom actually my phone actually rings. Think of that. Try this. There's an opportunity to do that. There's, a, there's guidelines to do that. Another one is the principle of charity. So this is simply when you're in relationship with someone throughout your day, instead of thinking after they've said something, being skeptical of what they've said, choosing the best possible intention, choosing to interpret the best possible intention. So if you're someone who struggles with cynicism, uh, this is a great practice to reorientate, retrain your mind to pursue reconciliation in their life. The last thing, and I would encourage everyone to do this because this is great, and this is something that's not just specific to this Sunday, is to do a shalom inventory. So what I've do, done is put uh, the wheel of shalom on a piece of paper and just ask the simple question, how are you doing really in each of these areas? And it has a description of each of these aspects of shalom. And this is kind of an interpersonal exercise that then becomes uh, interpersonal in that you assess how things are really going, and then you have an opportunity to sit across the table from someone who uh, really cares about your shalom, your peace, and have a conversation about that. So I just had a, a date night with Christian Ann last night, and this was the substance of our date night. I know Bible nerd, we did other things, <laughs> but uh, we had a really, really important conversation based off this simple question, how are you doing really in each of these aspects of your life? This stuff is really important. Investing in relationships is the most meaningful thing we can do as a church. It's the most meaningful thing that you can do in your life. I just want to close with this quick story from my own life that keeps bringing me back to this. So uh, my grandfather, who is my hero, um, his name is Dan. My uh, son is named after Dan. He's the fourth Daniel. Uh, he died in a tragic tractor accident when he was, uh, I don't know how old he was, but I was 14. It was the first experience of the loss of someone I experienced in my life. The first real experience of loss of relationship. So he lived in Tennessee, we flew down there for his funeral, and I was just reeling, my 14-year-old mind didn't really know how to process this loss. And part of the experience was sitting through the wake of my uh, grandfather's funeral. And I uh, had paid my tearful respects um, and then I sat down, and we didn't really have much to do with the day. I think the adults in our life weren't really thinking about planning for us, which is fine. So we sat in this sanctuary, this old sanctuary in Tennessee, and people started to come in. A couple hundred, a hundred people came in, and then an hour went by, two hours went by, three hours went by, and people kept flooding into my grandpa's funeral. Over 1,500 people that day came in to pay their respects to my grandfather. And the next day, I was, found myself sitting in this large auditorium that probably sat 900 people that was packed. And I only knew my grandpa as my grandpa. You got to understand. The only relationship I knew was the relationship we had and that he had with uh, my other cousins. And I was just in awe of how this one man could touch so many lives. And my little 14-year-old ears overheard so many stories of people who were not his best friends, not his college buddies, but people who he had encountered once twice, and because he was focused on relationship, had made enough impact in their life that they were willing to drive hours to come celebrate this man's life. As a part of that uh, celebration, my uncle Dan, second generation Dan, 
gave his eulogy. And in his eulogy, it was Opa's top 10. We called him Opa. He, was, he, he had some time in Germany. And one of his top 10, and I keep a printout of his top 10 in my nightstand uh, so it's close to me and I can recall these things. One of his top 10 was people matter most. So don't be afraid to show it. People matter most, so don't be afraid to show it. I think that would be a wonderful thing for North City to keep in mind, something for you to keep in mind this week. People matter most. Have the courage in your life to respond, to pursue reconciliation, to pursue relationship where you know you need it, where God brings it up in your life. Let's pray. The band can come up. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're three in one. The Bible we read defines you as love. You are, in your essence, self-giving. Primarily, what you've accomplished for us, what you call us into in this way of life of following you is relationship. God, would you bring to our attention as we worship for the rest of this time these areas in our life, God, where we've forgotten relationship? Would you give us the courage to receive your forgiveness and love and, and affirm the fact that there's no condemnation in your love, that you don't count our mistakes against us, that you welcome us always back into relationship with you? God, would you embolden us as a community to have the posture of reconciliation in our relationships, God? Have the posture of people mattering most and give us the courage to show it in every arena, whether it's the screens in front of us or the people sitting across the table from us, God, would you give us the courage to pursue relationship in our lives? In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you give you the courage to respond.